Welcome to Living Hope Podcasts. If you want to learn more about Living Hope and our ministries, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca. We hope you appreciate today's message. We've certainly had an exciting year. The few months that my family has been here has been absolutely action-packed, and so we're very excited for what this coming year has in store. And one of the things this coming year has in store is that we are going to continue through the Gospel of John. We uh, spent the first uh, five weeks of this sermon series unpacking the first 18 verses. Today we've got a much larger passage. So after spending all this time in the prologue, we had two sermons on the first five verses. And on Christmas Day, Pastor Steve just dwelt in verse 14 alone. Um, We are going to tackle verses 19 to 51. Um, And so I'm going to read this passage, so you're welcome to open up your Bibles to John chapter 1, verse 19. And because it is such a large chunk of the narrative, um, as you're going through, if you're making notes of, ooh, I really wonder what this means, I want to hear more about that, and I don't touch on it, or you don't feel I did it justice for what you were looking for, come find me after. Send me an email, phone call, drop by the office. Um, I'm sad that I couldn't include as much as I wanted to, but we want to get out of here before February. So... Let us come to the word of God. So John chapter 1, verse 19. Now this was John's testimony to the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem. uh, When the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you a prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see my spirit come down and remain is the one you will baptize, who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard that John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. 
Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and the one whom the prophets also wrote about, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, Philip, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approach, he said to him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were sitting under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see even greater things than that. He then added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the word of our Lord. I want to try and do something impossible. I want to describe something that is indescribable to you. And I'm going to do it by telling a story. And this takes place many years ago while I was living in Iceland. It was an ordinary Monday. And we had just gotten back from the international church. And my tablet's trying to update, so we're going to postpone that. So we had just gotten back from church on this ordinary Monday night in October. And as we arrived at the place we were staying, a guest house, there was this frantic energy around. Normally on a Monday night, the place we were studying is full of, staying is full of students who are feverishly studying, trying to catch up on all their missed work from the weekend. But instead of being inside, quietly reading and working on projects and papers, they were rushing outside. And so we look around. What's going on? We look around the streets, but nothing seems to be happening at eye level. And as we look at all the other students and people flooding out of their homes and businesses, they're all looking up. So naturally, when everyone around you is looking up, you look up. And what I saw absolutely stopped me in my tracks. I had never seen anything like this before. What I saw contrasted against the night sky, these rivers of color dancing up there. These brilliant, bright greens waving across the night sky, punctuated with small pillars of purple seemingly dancing up and down. I was absolutely mesmerized, captured. I could not believe what I was seeing. I'd never seen anything like this before and stood absolutely spellbound at this glorious night sky for what felt like an eternity. Now, some of you may have guessed but the best that I can do to describe the northern lights, that I think is the best I can do. Because really, when it comes to something like this, even this picture does not do it justice. Even a video, anything that I've seen since that moment takes me back. It is just a weak imitation. If you want to experience the northern lights, it's better to just go and see them, to see them in person, to not just take my word that they're beautiful, to not just simply be content with a picture, but to go and see. And if any of you sitting out there and watching this are 
familiar with the Northern Lights, I think you might agree. It is better to come and see. And I think that's where this passage sort of comes into play. This long narrative that I've just read before you follows this prologue in which John is trying to articulate the significance of Jesus. He uses this imagery of the word becoming flesh, dwelling among us. And the following narrative seems to sort of test out this claim of who Jesus is, to try and take the big ideas that he has constructed and to say, it really is this fantastic. In fact, it's even better than I've written about it. You've got to experience it. And so first, we start by not even talking about Jesus, but we're going to talk about John the Baptist, because this sets the stage for who Jesus is by telling us who John is not. For people who have come from all over the countryside to see John the Baptist, they want to see what is going on. They want to know what is so significant about this man. And so they begin to ask him questions to try and determine who he is. And they work through various levels of their expectation, trying to unpack the significance of his ministry. And they just start at the top. They go right for it. Are you the Messiah? No, he says. So they work their way down to what they see as the next important individual, someone that is supposed to come ahead of the Messiah. So if John is not the Messiah, then he must be Elijah, who is foretold to come before. No, John says. So then are you just a prophet, the prophet. They're trying to tease it out. He's got to be something. No, again, he says. They're trying to categorize them based on their preconceived notions and expectations upon their cultural foundations. They're trying to fit him neatly into this box. But John denies their every claim. Instead, John, in a sense, says, you have come to see me to see what makes me significant, but what makes me significant is how insignificant I am. What makes John's ministry meaningful is that it points to something greater. Rather than looking around at ground level, John invites them to look up to where the real beauty and fantastic display is. He points them ahead. Something greater is coming. And when that thing arrives, that thing, that person that John is pointing to, he gets excited. He then invites them to look and behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the one to whom he wants to point. This is the one he's inviting people to come and see. And he then takes that invitation. We're going to jump ahead here to verse 35. For when John is walking with two of his disciples, he sees Jesus and he says, Look, pay attention. This is what I'm talking about. This is what I was trying to describe to you, and it is finally here. I don't have to do any more talking. Just look and see. And so the people who initially followed John, they begin to follow Jesus because of John's testimony, because of the way that John talked about the one who is to come. And when they finally arrived and saw it, they were like, this must be it. John has spent a lot of time inviting us to look, to pay attention. We'd better follow through. And so, Andrew, the first one, the first one in our story, who saw Jesus and followed him because John said, He goes to him. And Jesus, obviously knowing what they want, but he asks them, what do you want? And they ask him, where are you staying? Because they want to follow him. They want to go where he is. They want to learn from him. John uses this word rabbi, which means teacher. 
And in the tradition of Judaism, a rabbi being this teacher was someone that did collect disciples, collected followers. And at times, they would live with him, move around the countryside with him, learning all that they could in an attempt to imitate him, to be able to understand his teachings and in turn take them out to others. This is what these two disciples want. They want to follow Jesus. They know the significance of him as they've understood it through John, and they want to learn. They want to see. And so, where are you staying? And Jesus, without any more explanation, simply invites them to come and see. Perhaps because Jesus knew the path laid before him, because Jesus knew that all that his ministry would entail and he could not explain it. Or perhaps not that he couldn't explain it, but that they just would not have understand, understood. He could not have simply led with, I'm going to die for the sins of the world. So he just invites them to come and see. Just experience. Come along for this ride. And so they do. Something in that invitation must have tugged at their heartstrings. And it must have been so significant because Andrew then goes and he finds his brother and says, you've got to see this as well. Because when we've seen something fantastic, we want others to experience it as well. And so they come to follow this Lamb of God, this one who they, even though they don't know it yet, is going to die for the sins of the world. And so John lays out Jesus' ministry right before us. Come and see what I'm about to do. I'm about to die for the sins of the world. And so they follow him. They follow this teacher, leaving everything behind to learn all that Jesus knows. And next, we come to Nathaniel. We come to a very similar narrative. We see Jesus inviting someone to follow him. And Philip, excited about this, goes to find Nathaniel to invite him as well. And so Nathaniel. He is sitting and waiting. And Philip's invitation, it comes with Scripture. He uses um, a, a, a cry and a callback to Moses and the law. He goes to their culture and their understanding to say, like, this is what we have been waiting for. And this goes back to the prologue, John chapter 1, verse 17, where it says, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. There's this expectation and anticipation of something greater than Moses to come, and Philip appeals to all of the Old Testament to say, we have found it. But ultimately, Scripture is not going to convince Nathaniel. Because even though he says, look, the law, the prophets, everything that we've been waiting for is here, It's Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. Nathaniel kind of gets hung up on this Nazareth piece. Despite all the scripture that he might have read, the debate they might have had back and forth, he can't seem to get past this localization of the coming Messiah. Surely this can't be it. I was expecting something bigger, he might have said. So ultimately, Philip knows that in order to convince Nathaniel, it's not enough to just read all the best Bible passages imaginable to recite all the memory verse he retained through Sunday school. You have to just come and meet him. Because it's only Jesus that can overcome Nathaniel's skepticism. Only Jesus can turn his attention from this man of Nazareth to the Son of God. Only Jesus can convince Nathanael that he is the Messiah, the one that is prophesied, the fulfillment of all the law and the prophets. One commentator puts it this way. 
He says if the disciples are able to reach beyond their culturally conditioned categories, they will see much more than just wonders. They will see communication between heaven and earth. For faith based on miracles only has relative value as a stepping stone of true faith, which once awakened will see something greater than such miracles. The miracle that they're talking about here is simply that Jesus knew who Nathanael was before he introduced himself. He got his name right when he said hi. He knew who he was. And that seemed to be enough to convince Nathanael, but Jesus is promising something greater, greater than anything he could ever expect. So why don't you come and see? And Jesus, he draws upon a really fantastic image from Scripture. He says, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And this should bring us back to Jacob's dream, all the way back in Genesis, where Jacob, where he's traveling through the wilderness, he lays down to sleep and he sees a ladder, a ladder from heaven to earth and angels ascending and descending. This is Jacob's encounter with God. He names this place Bethel, the house of God, because God dwelt there. God, Shekinah, gloried in that space. There was this link, this link between heaven and earth, something that was severed by the fall and the sin of humanity. But in this moment in Jacob's dream, he sees that God is touching down back on earth. He's bringing us, us and him together again. And this is what Jesus is claiming to do himself. It is not just a place. It is not something that is temporary. It is not something that exists in a dream, but it is God's glory, God dwelling among us in the flesh. This is bigger than just someone knowing your name. This is bigger than any of the, uh, any of the signs that we are going to uncover in the coming weeks. Because just as John saw the Spirit descending onto Jesus in a dove, so too will the disciples witness the establishment of a permanent bridge between heaven and earth. This permanent bridge of Jesus, one who will mediate on our behalf for all time. This is bigger than any political kingdom that could exist like the disciples might have expected. Bigger than the restoration of the temple, that kind of glory and dwelling place that Pastor Steve talked about last week. This is bigger than anything they could have ever hoped for and thought the Messiah would be. This is a restoration of all that is wrong and broken between our relationship and God. This is heaven and earth joined together again. And so we too are invited to see something bigger, something bigger than any of us could ever imagine happening here in Abbotsford, here at Living Hope Christian Reformed Church. But it also then invites us to not limit ourselves to a particular way in which we expect Jesus to act, not limiting ourselves to our own cultural expectations, such as making our faith too intellectual or practical as perhaps the CRC has been prone to do in years past, to look beyond our expectation of salvation moments, which typically characterize our testimony of Jesus' work in our lives, limiting our stories to the moment when we knew we were saved, and to say, this is how Jesus acts. He called me in a dream. I was convicted during an altar call. These classic stories have so much value and so much importance in telling our stories and telling who Jesus is to us, but we don't want to put them in a box and say that's all we can expect. Because despite 
all of our similarities and differences. Everyone starts their story in the same place, just as the disciples all start their story in the same place, wondering, wondering who this Jesus is and being invited to come and see. And for us, this invitation takes the form of baptism, of the work of the Holy Spirit linking us to Jesus, right? Because we all start our story typically in the CRC in the same place, right? Looking at that link between the seal of the Holy Spirit placed on us in baptism, our public profession of faith when we claim this faith to be our own, but it's inviting us to look beyond that, beyond that classic story that we all have to see that Jesus has acted in a way that is greater than that. He has opened up heaven in our daily lives continually. One of the challenges that I like to give to just about everyone is if someone asks you, who is Jesus to you? Tell me why you believe to do a two-minute story of a way that you've seen Jesus act in your life in the last 24 hours. Don't start at the beginning. Don't start with your best missional experience, whether it was on somewhere in uh, Mexico, the Dominican Republic, Iceland, Russia. Don't start with that really great Bible study class that absolutely wrecked you and made you believe. What has Jesus done in your life in the last 24 hours? Where have you seen this daily connection, this daily bridge of heaven and earth? Because every experience that we have with Jesus in our daily lives points to something still greater. It anticipates and leads us towards something more fantastic. The ordinary points us to the extraordinary. And this is not to say that Jesus, in bringing us a greater life, is going to give us a better life by our worldly standards. That would fall into health and wealth gospel, and we don't do that here. But it pushes us towards a deeper connection with God that transforms our very hearts in a way that brings Him glory. For as James K.A. Smith writes, God created the world out of and for His pleasure. It brings the focus back on what is essential to our very being, and that is our relationship with God. Coming to Jesus takes that idea, this idea that has existed from the very beginning and redeems it from humanity's sinful condition and moves it forward into the rest of our lives. It invites us into deep relationship, to know and to be known, to come and see It follows along with the title of our sermon series, That You May Believe. This invitation to come and see is about growing and fostering belief. It's the whole point of John's gospel, to come and know Jesus, to see what he has done, to see what he is going to do so that you may believe, because this belief ultimately requires an encounter with Jesus. For as Henry Blackaby writes, he says, merely knowing about Jesus will leave you unsatisfied. Truly knowing Jesus only comes through the experience as he reveals himself to you through his work and as you relate to him. The only way that we are going to believe in Jesus, the only way we are going to grow in our faith and become disciples is by knowing him. We can't simply just read about him to have conversations about him. You actually have to know him and talk to him and be known Otherwise, it's just intellectual and it's just fun Jesus facts. 
important things to know, but no substitute for real relationship. And so come and see is the invitation. Come and know and be known. And so when we take that idea, we as people in this church who are known, who have come and saw Jesus, who continue to seek him daily, how does that change the way we invite people into our communities? Change the way that we invite people to come and see our church? What are we inviting them to see? Our wonderful worship teams, our amazing Pastor Steve, all the various programs we have, community events, the fact that we're just a really fun group to hang out with. All of these things are great and fantastic and are part of a flourishing community. And to a degree, they're worth inviting people to see, but they are not the objects of our celebration. They are not what should really get us excited about belonging to church. They are not the reasons we should show up here on a Sunday morning. Because we're not trying to promote a community of good feelings and right morals, a fun place of belonging through community events and programs. That would make church just something of a cultural value, not something transformative that shakes us to our core. Because if there were no programs, no Sunday school, gems, cadets, no New Year's skates, summer barbecues, movies in the parks, harvest festivals, would you still be here? If we sang our songs on an out-of-tune piano led by an individual who couldn't hold a tune in a bucket, would you still invite people to come? Would this still be a place worth showing up if by worldly standards we just didn't seem to have it together? Because anything we do that is a cultural expression of our faith should not take the place of the reason that we gather, the reason that we can call ourselves the church, the reason for our belief. It is not just enough to come and meet Christians in this place. One needs to meet Jesus when they show up on a Sunday morning. We only exist as a community because we have all encountered Jesus and have been convinced by he and Jesus himself alone that he is the Lamb of God who has taken away the sin of the world. So come meet Jesus. Come meet people who have met Jesus, but come and meet Jesus in this place. Because we want people to look at the northern lights, not just at the colors dancing on the snow behind them, or even to see the look on someone's eyes when they see it. It is no replacement for the thing itself. Because when you see it, when you see something this fantastic, we should not be able to help ourselves but point others towards it. And so this reveals to us that more is required following this encounter with Jesus. It is, it is this invitational lifestyle that we are called, because we are called to invite those outside of our community, because church is not meant to be an insular thing. And we see this in John 17, 15 to 18. Four, I didn't write that one down. One moment. Because Jesus, as he is preparing to go to the cross, he prays for his disciples, and these are his words, and they indicate an outward movement. For he says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world. And this world, ver this world word, remember, is really important in the Gospel of John for these contrasts, right? Check your bookmarks that uh, Pastor Steve made for us, right? This above and below, Jesus is talking about the world. 
He says, so my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even though even as I am not of it, sanctify them by truth. Your word is truth. And as you send me into the world, I have sent them into the world. So there's this sending aspect. The disciples at this point, they have met Jesus. They have lived with him. They have seen his sign. They have come and seen amazing things. And now it is time to take that message out and invite others to come and see. Do not retreat from the world. Andrew, upon meeting Jesus, went and found Peter. Philip, upon meeting Jesus, went and found Nathaniel. And perhaps we feel that the world is too hostile these days to Christianity. It's not as fashionable as it once was. You cannot expect everyone you meet on the street corner to go to a church. You may feel that there's a lot of resistance, but there has always been resistance to the gospel from around the world. Even when we considered ourselves a Christian nation, there was resistance to the gospel. And this opposition should not deter us from inviting people to join us and experience the joy, the love, compassion, forgiveness, peace, and transformation that comes from following Jesus. Now, it has been pointed out in this invitation to come and see that it's a bit ironic, the words of Andrew and Philip, who declare that they have found the Messiah. They have found the one whom the law and Moses spoke about because Jesus reached out to them first. Jesus made the initial move to bring them close enough to himself that they might discover who he was. We don't find Jesus. He finds us. Think of the parable of the lost sheep in Luke 15. It is the shepherd that goes out and looks for the sheep because the sheep has no hope of making it back home on its own. So we shouldn't invite people in that sense to find Jesus. We shouldn't invite people to come to church so that they would find their Savior. But rather, we should invite them to come and see so that they might realize they have already been found that Jesus has already reached out towards them and called them to follow him. Such a claim is essential to our identity as the Christian Reformed Church. For the Belgic Confession, Article 22 declares that we believe that for us to acquire the true knowledge of this great mystery, and this is the mystery of salvation and atonement, that Christ makes us right with God through his sacrifice. So to acquire this true knowledge and mystery, that the Holy Spirit kindles in our hearts a true faith that embraces Jesus with all his merits and makes him its own and no longer looks for anything apart from him. That you may believe, according to the Belgic Confession, is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives that kindles that faith in our heart. We come and see because the Holy Spirit has promoted a desire for us to come and see because Jesus has invited us before we even thought to go and take a look. And so this invitation, this invitation to come and see is always a, res- is always a response when it comes to belief. We always respond to God because he interacted with us first. Even when we ask questions of God, the skepticisms we hold, the doubts that keep us up in the night, these all stem from hearing that call to follow Jesus and wondering what it all entails. Jesus is sufficient to ease our doubts about salvation. Our final hope is secure in Christ. This is the good news of the gospel. This is the good news that John is then going to spend the next 20 chapters unpacking. The object of our belief is the work of Jesus on our behalf. 
something that we cannot do by ourselves. Come and see. And then, then we are invited to go out and invite others to come and see as well. Come and see that they have already been found. So the question, the question that you might ask yourself this new year is who are you meant to go out and find so that they might know that they have already been found? So we are called to follow Jesus, to come see what he is up to, Perhaps this means to commit to Christ for the first time. Perhaps it means that we are called to dig a little bit deeper in our relationship with him so that our belief might grow. And in turn, inviting others to come and see what Jesus is up to in your life, in their own life, in the life of the church, in the life of our community. The Flourishing Community Cohort is perhaps an excellent example of this invitation to come and see, to come and see what God is doing at work in our community here and to come and see what he is already doing in the communities of Abbotsford. Come and see, and you will not be disappointed. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are filled with immeasurable gratitude that you sent your Son down to earth to dwell among us so that we might have that bridge between heaven and earth, by which we can come back into right relationship with you. Heavenly Father, forgive us when we make this invitation more about our church, ourselves, our community, what we feel that we are doing on your behalf, rather than focusing on what you have already done for us, what you are doing, and what you are going to. God Almighty, inspire us in the coming weeks, month, in this coming year, to wonder about who in our community, who in our lives you have already found, and they just don't know it yet. We pray that your Holy Spirit would continue to kindle that growth of belief, that it would prompt those questions and those wonderings so that we might get the amazing privilege of inviting them to come and see Jesus because we are so grateful that you invited us first. Heavenly Father, we can only do this by the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives. So continue to teach us, inspire us, encourage us, make us more and more like Jesus every single day so that when we come to you, we see more and more clearly. And as we go out into the world, others might see you more and more clearly through us. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged in the message and through the work of the Spirit. Once again, if you want to learn more about Living Hope, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca.